Hello and welcome to the No BS Approach to Motherhood podcast, hosted by Catherine Hay and Shelley McKenzie. We are both mothers and clinical nutritionists who specialize in women's health. We are here to not only bring you the most up-to-date nutritional and health advice when it comes to fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, and children's nutrition, but our main goal is to break through the BS that can come with motherhood. No topic is off limits, so grab a cuppa or a glass of wine and join us for another raw and real conversation surrounding motherhood. This episode is proudly brought to you by Cacao Mama. Cacao Mama is a talky business run by a single mama that had her life changed by cacao and is now blessing her community through donating cacao to women's circles, events and selling Australia-wide on her website. Cacao is high in magnesium, calcium and antioxidants and helps calm the central nervous system. Simply by adding a milk of choice, add a small piece of cacao and any sweetener to taste, this can be enjoyed as a medicine for the mind ritual. Use our discount code of NOBS20 to receive 20% discount on your purchase. So we are back for another catch-up, which is exciting. So, Shell, fill us in. What's been happening recently in the last week or so? Yeah, so for me, I feel very vulnerable talking about this. But when I think about the greater purpose of what we're doing here in this podcast is to talk about the shit that no one's talking about or having very little conversations around. So I guess for the next couple of months, you're going to hear that I have been sick because I sound like a 90-year-old man in all of our recordings (laughs) (laughs) who's been smoking his whole life. Um, So when we did our bulk recordings, I had the flu. Yeah, and it just got worse and worse, like the flu's hectic. It's worse than COVID at the moment, seriously. Yeah. Anyway, the cough that came with that was absolutely horrendous. And on Friday, I rang Macca and I can post a photo because I sent it to you as well. Yeah. I rang Macca and, and just was like, SOS, like I need serious help right now because I couldn't stop wetting myself. Every time I coughed, I would fully wet myself. And I've never suffered. I... I say that I've been lucky, but I've also done the work to never suffer from incontinence since Mm. having the boys. And there's been the odd time, which I have opened up about, like when I've been pregnant and, you know, I have pooed myself or uh, what have you, but it's, it's been a one-off and then I've, I've known what I need to do. And I've gone and seen pelvic floor specialists and things like that. But anyway, Friday I had the boys we were all sick, couldn't stop coughing. I'd gone through three or four pairs of pants and I was just so incredibly miserable. And I've spoken to a couple of girlfriends since who have also had the flu that's going around at the moment and the cough. And they've said the same, like the incontinence is, and, and the pelvic floor, some of them have just had issues with pelvic floor and they can feel that you know, they've really got to squeeze everything and and try to keep that in. Um, But yeah, I just, I guess that was like something that I really wanted to share because even I was talking to even my sister and I was like, gosh, you'd be careful of getting the flu because um, like it was just such, yeah, I've never experienced it. I now know what it feels like. And it was embarrassing. Like I was humiliated. Like I had to ring my car to come home from work because I kept wetting myself and I literally couldn't even cough without having to run to the toilet. And I'm heavily pregnant. I'm 37 weeks pregnant right now. Exactly. Uh, just so that, you know, I was sitting on the toilet to cough. Like, yeah, it's just your dignity. It's everything, you know. 
it's everything and you know so many women experience incontinence especially after birth but can you give us a little bit of an understanding about how much you were actually wetting through because I know sometimes if I cough even if I don't have the flu I might be like oh I can feel it but nothing comes out so how how badly were you wetting yourself? Yeah, so, um, well, I did. I think I went through four pairs of, like, knickers and pants. So, like, there was wow. four times where I fully wet myself. Yeah. Um, and there was a couple of times outside of that I found um, some maternity pads and I had to wear those. There mm. was times outside of that when I'd cough and it would be more just, like, a dribble, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was every single time. Oh. And then... Saturday, I obviously had a little bit more flexibility because Macca was home. Like he got home at two o'clock on the Friday after I called him mm. um, and he took the boys for me. If I was laying down, it was fine because okay. I was able to, you know, hold everything I needed to hold in when I was laying down. But standing up, I just found that really difficult. And I think now as well, baby's head's engaged. So I don't know whether it's also that combination. Like I just literally had zero pelvic control on Friday when I coughed. Um, So that was Friday by Saturday. I still wore a maternity pad, but it wasn't the urgency. The cough was still pretty bad, but it wasn't the urgency that I had on the Friday. And that was because I almost, if a cough was coming, I would go and just sit on the toilet and um, it would be like a full dribble or trickle that I would hear like as I was coughing, if I was sitting on the toilet. So I potentially would have kept wetting myself on the Saturday as well. Um, But I had a bit more flexibility because Macca was here with the boys. So he just had the boys for me and I could actually make it to the toilet to go and sit on. When you were urinating, could you Mm. feel it or had you kind of lost sensation down there at that time as well? No, I mean, I couldn't feel that anything was coming. I obviously felt it after it had come, but mm. no, like I couldn't, mm. I just knew if I coughed, I was going to wet myself, but it wasn't, oh. it wasn't a, like, you know, I had a full bladder prior and I could feel that I needed to urinate. It wasn't that. Yeah. It was literally going. just like, yeah, oh my God. It happened actually for the first time on the Thursday night. Um, my mum was here too and I was getting ready to go to bed and I started coughing really bad and I was like, oh great, I've just wet myself. And Ah. I felt the trickles down my legs. Yes. Okay. And I was like, oh, great. There we go. Okay. And then it continued through the Friday. And then again, the Saturday, as I said, I could make it to the toilet and I, and I had the warning with the cough, but yeah, it was, um, it was really humiliating, but I did, you know, and and it's humiliating even sharing it, but I wanted to share it because we're coming into flu season and everybody is getting this and it's nasty like I've had COVID but this is way worse than what COVID was and yeah I mean a lot of women are going to be experiencing this exact same thing and it's been funny because over the week just chatting to a few friends and like my sister and stuff I'm, I'm like I already know I'm not the only one that is having to deal with this you know yeah yeah absolutely and even if you've got the flu or not incontinence is such a big deal and we're looking at prolapses after birth and you know multiple pregnancies multiple births and how that whole area recovers and even knowing that you've done all the work and you put in the hard yards for your pelvic floor but then as soon as something that you can't control happens Mm. you do lose that control and just imagine if you couldn't have been at home those days and you were out at 
at work or at a shopping center or out and about with the boys and you had this huge coughing attack and you literally wet yourself in a public place and then didn't have the means to support yourself, which it's just, yeah, it's, it's such a big issue. And I'm so grateful that you opened up about this today because like you said, we know you're not alone and it's, yeah, it's, it's humiliating and it's just like, oh, do I have to pack a spare pair of pants now with me and pads every time I go out if you're coughing or, or whatnot? Yeah, exactly right. Yep. So anyway, that's been me. Oh, I honey. am sounding a little bit better today on this recording. But yeah, as I said, all pre-recordings, you're going to hear the 90-year-old man version of Shelley. <laughs> You did a very good job. We were back to back in Melbourne, just smashing out these podcasts. Shell was sick as anything. We always had to like press mute so Shell could cough and she got through it all like a champ. So, But how you didn't get it. We were in a hotel room together for two days. (laughs) Like you've done well. (laughs) There's one thing that works for me. It's that immune, my immune system. Doesn't it ever? It's a, it's a, it's a robust immune system of mine, thank God. Even my mum caught it and, like, I wasn't even with mum that much. Like, she was, <laughs> she had the boys and stuff for me and I was like, I've been in a hotel room with you with no air circulation for two days and you have not caught a thing. Unbelievable. Well done, nah. sister. Thanks, girl. Thank you. <laughs> um, now, so that's me. What's been happening in your world? I guess a few little things and especially it all kind of, you know, started with being in Melbourne last week. So I was in Melbourne from Monday to Wednesday, flew in late Wednesday night and I'm back to back in clinic all day Thursday, all day Friday and most of the day on Saturday. And I spoke a little bit about it on social media, but it's the first time. Oh, and I'd been away on a girls weekend previous to Melbourne. So again, I was away. So it was about the Friday to the following Saturday that I'd spent time away from sunny it's the first over seven day period that i'd Mm. ever done that yes i'd seen her briefly in that seven gap seven day window sorry um but it was probably for a total over that week for two hours so it really um it's funny you know i was so proud of the work we were doing and i was so empowered and you know we had so many of those pinch me moments in in melbourne with the podcast and it being sponsored and you know all these things that are happening with it and then going into clinic, I was feeling really rejuvenated and energized because obviously I love what I do. But then, you, you know, you get that, oh, my God, I miss my baby. I just want to spend like a whole day with my baby. She was talking more from what Nick had mm. told me. All of these things were happening. Um, and it just made me step back and it, it's that juggle, right, with your career and mum. I didn't feel guilt. Like uh, a lot of people message me like, oh, my baby, you got to shift the mum guilt. And I said, it's not even a guilt. Like there's no guilt there because I'm doing something for me. And I have really learned to kind of quieten down that mum guilt mind when it's in relationship to my career. I love my career. I love being girl boss. I like being in that busyness in terms of, you know, what, we were, what we're doing, especially with clinic as well. Um, so there was no guilt associated, but I just missed it. I really, Mm. really missed her. And I haven't had that pang of missing her ever in her whole life. Cause you know, I probably spent a couple of nights away from her, but I was like, mommy needs a break. So it's fine. (laughs) But you know, a solid week. I was like, ah, and also to top it all off, we were recording on the, uh, Wednesday and I get a call from Sunny's daycare and they've given her dairy again. And this is the second time it's happened. I'm in Melbourne. I can't do anything. Nick's in Brisbane working. And I said to them, I don't want Sunny's F-Pies experiments to be happening in daycare. 
Mm -hmm. I actually prefer to do that in the comfort of my own home or at the hospital when she goes for her two-year trial with FPIs. So that set in a little bit of panic and you saw me. I was fuming, absolutely pacing around fuming uh, because this is the second time it's happened. And, you know, they're like, oh, it wasn't her usual day in daycare. So their communication was broken down and lost. I said, not my issue, not my problem. You know, Sunny has FPIs. Let's, why has this happened again? Anyway, cut a long story short. She was totally fine. Um, I had very stern words with them um, when I got back to uh, the Gold Coast. But, um, yeah, nice to confirm, Sunny now can have boiled sour cream through a meal, which to me just sounds repulsive. And I've never... <laughs> I was like, what dairy did she have and how was it prepared? But she passed that test. So, you know, all these little things just kind of crept into that, that week. And I was, and I was like, I, I just miss her. I just wanted her to know I was here. Because last time they did that, I was at daycare, rushing in an ambulance straight to the children's um, mm. hospital. And we, I have spoken about this. She was fine again. But like I said, those experiments can be done on my terms, not daycare's terms. <laughs> yeah, and it was so out of your control because, as you said, Nick was an hour away from her and you were in Melbourne. Yeah. Like it was, yeah, I, you handled yourself and that situation so unbelievable and I felt like I was even going into panic for you. <laughs> Just um, I, I honestly, you know, my hat goes off to you because I don't know how you have handled this and particularly when these exposures are happening, you know, as you said, last time you were rushing in an ambulance straight after they'd done that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's their job at the end of the day. So it is... Uh, very frustrating, but you did handle yourself so incredibly well, considering the circumstances. And I think as well, um, Sunny also said, I love you for the first time on the phone when you were here, didn't she? She did. To top off the, <laughs> you know, the being away from her. Oh, my gosh. Miss. She did. And that obviously I was like, oh, melt. So yeah. I, um, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting time, but you, you kind of got this empowering and, you're feeling so elated from what we're doing with, you know, the podcast and work and all the things, but then your baby potentially could have been really sick. She's saying, I love you the first time and you know, all these things that were happening. So it was just all new learning for me. She was mm. my first. And um, how was yeah. your weekend with her? Well, yeah, even that. So weekend I was working, then I had a girl's lunch on the Sunday. So I took Monday off with everyone else in Melbourne and New South Wales because it wasn't a public holiday up here. And we just hung out in the sun. We went to the parks, tried to make some mum friends. You'll be proud of me. <laughs> Semi-unsuccessful, semi-successful. Um, and just hung out and had the best day together. So it was definitely yeah, nice. needed. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And, yeah, your mum friend mission continues. So... If you're not caught up on that, <laughs> Kathy and I always laugh because I go to the park and literally will talk to anyone who will listen to me and make mum friends in the park. And then Kathy's like, I really should start doing that too. So you've started, you're on your journey of making mum friends and you did have one mama on Monday, didn't you? I did. I did. And she said to me, oh, so the kid was chucking a tantrum. She goes, oh. God, this is why we drink margaritas. And I was like, oh, you are my, my vibe. <laughs> so I started to initiate more conversation because as soon as that was dropped, I was like, we, we're going to get along. But um, then, it, you know, 
kids are running everywhere and that was about it. But I, I will be venturing back next Monday to see if she Lovely. is there and maybe we can strike up a little bit of a, a mum friendship. Yeah. And that's all, you know, a couple of my best mates have been made in the park. It didn't happen the first time. It was, you know, because toddlers are toddlers. Uh, but after a few times, I'm like, without sounding creepy, can I get your number? Yeah. <laughs> and we'll meet back here next week with a bottle of wine. A bottle of wine. Isn't that uh, what you do? <laughs> yeah. No, I actually do. Like, yeah, I, I, love <laughs> I love it. Friday afternoon, go to a park where the fences are clo- like there's fences that are closed off bottles of wine in the bottom of the pram cheese platters it's yeah. my it's my vibe that is my vibe if only i was in melbourne i know right i know well darling you're doing incredible stuff and i'm glad you got to hang with sunny girl and potentially make a mum friend watch this space we'll hear how this is going Thank you, darling. And you, you've done a, you've had a big week. You've had a huge week with this illness and the boys. And I know there've been some challenges with Van. So I'm mm-hmm. surprised you're even standing how you are today at 37 weeks pregnant too. I'm going to go nap after we've done this Facebook <laughs> podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, on that, let's dive in. Yay. Hello. Welcome, welcome. Thanks so for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. We were just saying you're popping our cherry for the first in-person yes. podcast. No pressure. <laughs> well, said, Do we sound good? Like, <laughs> if we don't, it's our fault. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to be chatting all about fertility tracking, fertility awareness. But before we dive in, tell us who you are and what you do. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm Nat Kringudis and I've been in the women's health space for, uh, I don't know, 18 or so years. I've been in practice for, my background's Chinese medicine and acupuncture, but it was, you know, as every new practitioner does, you branch out, you start treating and then you just take whatever you can get because you're desperate for patients. Uh, and that was, you know, that, that hasn't changed. Although, um, yeah, you, you know, during that process, we were, um, I was finding myself uh, inundated with women that just didn't understand their body. They didn't understand their fertility. They didn't understand their cycles. And um, and I actually probably didn't understand it either. Like it was very, um, it was an interesting time to be part of that. And it all just exploded. So all of a sudden we had a lot of women wanting help and we were able to help them through experiments. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I never learned any of this at university. Like, yeah. you know, I, we did gynecology and we did all these subjects, but it was all about a period and period pain and maybe um, PMS and a headache. It was never all of the modern day symptoms that we were seeing. So, you know, I was able to draw that correlation that a lot of the symptoms we were seeing were a direct result of our modern day lifestyle. And then how do we start to address those hormone imbalances? So, yeah, we got very busy very quickly and that really put us on the map for fertility as such. I didn't choose fertility. I don't know if you've really thought about having to treat hormonal women all day long. That just wasn't. (laughs) I was like, yeah, nah, this is tough. But over time, um, you know, it was just, it chose us. And so that's what I just kept doing. And that led to lots of other doors opening. It was before we were even talking about fertility as we do it now. And especially, you know, women's health space. Now every second practitioner specialises in hormones because it's such a problem. But back then there was no one doing it. So really privileged to be along um, that ride and that wave. And, you know, that's led to all sorts of opportunities, books and more clinic and, you know, worldwide travel and all sorts of things. And I'm really grateful for that. 
Well, so are we. <laughs> <laughs> what would we do if you weren't in this space? Honestly, though, and I've uh, I've even been to your practice and you have um, had my acupuncture and everything there, and it's just a beautiful space. And yeah, we just feel really lucky. Oh, thank you. Well, well it's a privilege to help people, and I think also, you know, it's like when you're on a, a path and you you kind of know you're fulfilling something within yourself it's such a privilege to be able to continue to help people and create that space maybe I think I probably take it for granted actually I don't think about the the repercussions of you know who are we actually reaching and servicing I just wake up every day hoping to make somebody's life better so can you tell us a bit about fertility like what does fertility mean to you and that word because we hear it all the time and I think a lot of the time we think oh fertility that's making babies getting pregnant what, is, what does that mean? Such a good question because people do one of two things. When someone says, oh, Nat specialises in fertility, people look at me one of two ways. They either are like, oh, really? Or I, don't, I do not need you. Like, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I say to people, fertility isn't about being pregnant. It's about your potential to be pregnant. But it's, that really then is your, your, you having a thriving reproductive system. And meaning that it's working and it's working properly. And that doesn't mean a pregnancy. That just That's just a state of health as far as I'm concerned. There are so many things that impact our fertility. And I think many women can relate to not being connected to their fertility, spending the majority of their life trying not to fall pregnant. And for many, um, only discovering that it's not as easy as they once thought once they actually do try. So... I think it's it's there's so many layers to fertility. Yes, it's you having a regular cycle that's to me a relatively problem free, but it's also understanding what that means and how you can utilize that to your advantage. And I guess we call this fertility awareness where we u- utilize our awareness of fertility for conception or not. And that's another really gray area because you need to be very careful when you use the word contraception. Contraception actually is a device or a or a synthetic hormone. Um, you can't call preventing pregnancy contraception. So it's, there's so many layers to fertility, but I do think it is. It's a state of being. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not, and, and, and so is pregnancy, but you can't have one without the other. But you don't necessarily have to be pregnant just because you're fertile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's, there's so much confusion because you learn at school, oh, you have sex once. You don't you pregnant. like don't you <laughs> like you have sex you get pregnant I went to a catholic school and that's literally what the education was and you know when I wrote beautiful you which is my last book it was aimed for teenagers not because I want them to have teen pregnancies because I want them to have the awareness and the the understanding of their body and so many teens are you know if we can reach out to teenagers I feel like we get the whole piece yes. right um but exactly that reason because we were told we have sex before pregnant and that's the end of your life yes i don't know about you i said this to my husband a little while ago i was like did you have anyone in high school fall pregnant not that we're advocating for that but i'm like we did and it was like their life was over now if i look back now sorry if i look at them now they're living their best freaking lives their kids are like off (laughs) and gone it's not that their life wasn't over you know it was just done differently so you know sometimes it just is what it is but i think Again, having the awareness around that, um, I'm pretty sure that the teenager knew if she had sex, she was, could fall pregnant. That was the message that was being given. What do we do as a layer to that to, to help us understand um, and learn our cycles? And if we were learning them from a young age, by the time we got to a point where we were sexually active, it, it's a no-brainer as to what your fertility, what your body's telling you in terms of your fertility. That's it. And you can't 
really unlearn it once you know no. like, it's so true like once you actually do i laugh all the time because women will say to me oh i just don't trust myself which breaks my heart actually because yeah. if you can't trust yourself who the hell can you trust yeah. but it's so blatantly obvious when you know your fertile signs and you know your cycle because you've been watching it over and over again to for me to fall pregnant at this point in my life, I would literally have to be on a bender, blind, drunk in a gutter and somebody actually have their way with me because there's no way. There's absolutely, it's like so obvious. I'm like, how, how do people not know this? I think where the greyness is, you know, how long are we fertile for? How many days after I ovulate? I mean, for a lot of women, what's ovulation? Like a lot of women don't, until they come off the pill and they're ready to have children, they'll sit in my office and they'll say, I'm so embarrassed, but I don't understand ovulation. Yeah. It's not their fault. If you've been on the pill or something that's been blocking ovulation from happening, any synthetic hormone tends to do that. You've never had the opportunity to read the ebbs and flows of your body, Mm. which for me is why a teenager especially needs the information because they don't even know who they are yet at this point in time. Yeah, and it really does give them that power. Yes. You know, it's it's a power that us and our generation didn't necessarily have because we weren't taught this stuff in school and our mothers weren't taught to teach us. You know, they Mm. also didn't know. So it's giving the teenagers a power to embrace their body and embrace their womanhood and know when they're ovulating and when they can fall pregnant. And so on that, let's chat about what ovulation is, what it looks like, and what a, a, I'm air quoting normal cycle, but you know, like what that looks like. I mean, I think what we need to look at is a textbook case, and here's the stats on that. 14% of women have a textbook case cycle. So this is probably not you. If you're listening to this, it's likely that it's not you. (laughs) Doesn't mean you can't use the information to your advantage, and it doesn't mean that it can change month to month based on our environment. So, you know, if we go back to this 28-day cycle, it's broken up into four phases. Your bleeding phase, which I think everybody can identify with, that's your period, and that can last anywhere from three to seven days. Um, And then you enter your pre-ovulation phase. So, you know, during this time, um, whilst you've finished bleeding, you're your lining starts to build, your estrogen starts to build, your hormones get ready, the little follicles on your ovaries, they, you know, there's several of them there that are ready, one of them will mature, and as a result of hormone fluctuations in your body, ovulation then occurs. Ovulation is the hero of the cycle. You can't have a period if you haven't ovulated, and a lot of women don't understand that. I think we we look at the period as being the peak of the cycle because we can see what's happening um, because we get, you know, substantial evidence of that. But if you understand ovulation, you, you do for a healthy woman, get evidence of that as well. So ovulation is said to be around cycle day 14, but that could be earlier and that can be slightly later depending on your hormones and the environment. Um, and it's typically marked by a change in cervical fluid where you you get, as a woman, you get discharge all month round and that's healthy vaginal flora. Um, it usually looks a bit like clag glue that you played with in high school. Um, and it can, it, it shouldn't be offensive. It smell, in smell, it can have a bit of an odour, but it shouldn't be offensive and it shouldn't be a funny colour. So it should typically be white, look like clag glue. When we're ovulating or gearing up to ovulate, the uh, consistency of the cervical fluid changes to become more wet and slippery. So it looks a little bit more like when you've got a bad cold and you're very snotty and it's that clear snot that you've you know, it looks more like that. 
And that marks your body ovulating. Well, that's a clear sign that your body is ovulating. The reason that it changes is that that cervical fluid, if you look at it under a microscope, is hundreds of little channels that allow the sperm to travel up to the egg. Whereas that claggy discharge that we get at other times of the cycle, not at ovulation, it looks like crisscrosses under a microscope. So it's like nothing's getting through here. <laughs> and then it's like a slipstream up to the to the egg. So the, the difference between those two is you will never feel that claggy discharge around the opening of the vagina um, or the vulva. Um, you, you don't feel that. It doesn't have a sensation. Ovulation discharge always feels cold and wet. So a lot of women will either be doing one of two things. They'll be going, I don't think I've ever felt that before because no one's ever told you. Or you're like, yes, I thought I had my period, but it wasn't due and I've gone to the bathroom and I've had that slippery mucus there. So it definitely feels wet and it definitely feels cold. And the more you can tune into that feeling, the the, um, more you can start to really read your body's fertile signs. The last day that you have that wet sensation or that you see that cervical fluid is ovulation. But that's hard to know until after the fact. So if I have wet, slippery mucus today, but I don't have it tomorrow, I've ovulated today, essentially. This is in a perfect textbook case, remember. So that's how we know that we've ovulated. We look out for those signs. Yes, okay, at that time you often feel good. You know, you're very social. It's the day you look in the mirror and you're like, I look good today. (laughs) We all have one of those days every month if you actually track it. It's that that day. And it's because your body is designed literally to make babies. Like that's what it's set up to do every month. So, you know, on the other, other side of ovulation, one of two things happens in the cycle. Either conception has occurred and that that follicle that's come down as a result of ovulation will meet with the sperm and that'll implant that becomes a pregnancy or it gets ready to repeat the process so that's slipping into on the other side of ovulation is our luteal phase um in our luteal phase is when we kind of come back down that hill again ready for the um, premenstrual phase which a lot of women can identify with feeling a little bit ratty at that time Um, And that's, again, because of hormone changes. And then a period arrives again. So that's, you know, that's a a textbook case scenario. But, and this is one of the things I found very early on with women, was that ovulation didn't look like that for them. And why? Whether they had ovulation pain, maybe they had um, other symptoms, they didn't feel great, or maybe their cycles were longer. And they're like, well, when am I ovulating if my cycle's longer? Um, Helping them to work out and track that over time allowed them to see the patterns of their ovulation to then work out, were they perhaps attempting to ovulate several times in a cycle or were they just ovulating a bit later? All that information is really important and you can tell all of that via your fertile signs of your cervical fluid. So if the only thing you hear from all of that is that fertile mucus feels wet and cold and you can identify with that or at least put that in your mind somewhere to rem- you don't even need to remember. Now you're aware of it and we've spoken about it. You just know. Then you can start to be more aware of ovulation. And as a comparison... A lot of women can identify their period feels wet too, but it feels so gross. Feels wet and warm, yeah. whereas ovulation feels wet and cold because one's coming from the uterus and the other one's coming from the cervix. So one's kind of like you know already making its entry out of the body. So if you can identify those two things, you're well on your way to starting to track your cycle and use fertility awareness method. And can you explore basal body temperature mm-hmm. and the position of the cervix? Because we know they can obviously impact ovulation as well. So can you fill us in? Yeah, well, I mean, your cervix is pretty darn clever. If you if actually, there's, you know, full websites dedicated to watching and tracking what the cervix does throughout the cycle. It makes sense. It, you know, it starts high and it comes down um, as we get closer to ovulation and then actually moves back higher again. 
obviously to accept the sperm. So um, a lot of women will track the, the measurement of their cervix to work out where they are in their cycle. Um, and a lot of women love doing that. Personally, I'm not a great fan of it because I don't just don't feel that you, it's not necessary if you can track your other signs. But some women love doing that and... I don't know, I just don't go fishing into my, my vulva and vagina that often. But, but a lot of women like that and kudos to them if they've worked out and they want to track it that way, absolutely. Um, I'm also just time poor and I don't spend much time doing that. So, <laughs> um, And then basal body temperature is another um, very excellent and accurate way. Uh, but again, it takes a little bit of time to learn and that's um, taking your temperature upon rising each morning. Depending on how you're doing that, if you're doing that um, just with a chart and a regular thermometer that you might get from the chemist. Um, there's a, there is a bit of grayness in that. But typically what we see is, um, you know, you want your temperature to sit somewhere low 36s at the start of the cycle and it will consistently do that until you get the um, hormone shifts around ovulation where you definitely see a dip and a rise in your temperature. So it'll dip down quite substantially and rise very quickly um, to mark ovulation and then generally stay up. Um, higher than 36.5 let's say for the rest of the cycle now again that's going to vary based on so many things and it does tell us so many things so if women are generally lower in temperature we might look at their thyroid Um, again if they're higher in temperature we might look at their thyroid as well or other things that might be going on but also you know for optimal fertility we can look at where your temperatures lie as well I think for a lot of women just seeing the dip and the rise um, that, that marks ovulation helps them to confirm that they've ovulated alongside looking at their cervical fluid patterns but it is it's something that I think does need to be learned over time um, there's a lot of things that can impact the accuracy of temping whether you got up overnight to children um, whether or not you've drank alcohol have you had a fever have you flown in a plane have you taken medications like anything that's outside of your normal regular routine can affect the way that your body behaves so it will impact your temperature as well but so long as you know that, then you can allow for those fluctuations to happen. And I think that, yeah, the wisdom of doing that and women that come to me with years worth of, of temping, I, I, it's wildly fascinating and so much insight into their body. But you don't necessarily, that again, isn't for everybody either. So this is where just watching your own cervical fluid for me um, and generally what I practice as well is a game changer, especially for busy women. And can you tell us about Daisy? Sure. Tell us in about sure. Daisy. <laughs> um, well, Daisy's, Daisy's not a new device. So Daisy is a fertility awareness tracker that helps women to understand their ovulation better. Um, it is extremely accurate. But the, the device itself over the years has grown and changed. It's around 40 years of technology. So it's not like, you know, there are a lot of trackers out there and all have different features uh, within their own right. I think for Daisy, for me, um, 40 years of, of data and data tracking is a peace of mind and it's, you know, Absolutely. speaks for itself. So, um, and again, it, it, it is a follow-on from what we were just talking about in terms of it does track basal body temperature. So um, upon waking, you pop the thermometer under your tongue, you sit there, you press a button, it does everything for you and all the information is recorded in your DAISY. So it, it essentially is um, a medical device. It's approved by the FDA and it has an accuracy of being able to pinpoint your non-fertile days by up to 99.4%. So it can tell you you're definitely not fertile. Now, take from that as you wish. We, t- we can't call it a contraception because it's not. It's not a device. It's not an implant. Um, fertility awareness, again, is 
you knowing when you're ov- ovulating to do whatever the heck you want to do with that. But we, it is marketed as a fertility awareness device, meaning, you know, we're teaching you to understand when you're ovulating and it can really help with con- um, conception when you're looking at that because a lot of women, for many reasons, have discrepancies around you know, even if they're doing regular temperature tracking, um, Daisy allows for fluctuations. So where I've just mentioned all those things, flying in a plane, not sleeping, a lot of mothers will say, I can't temp because I'm up four or five times a night. Daisy actually allows for those discrepancies. It also doesn't mean you need to take your temperature the same time every day, so long as you take it upon waking. So that to me was a a game changer because I'm like, I am not on a day off setting an alarm at six o'clock to take my temperature. No, Life is too short yeah. for this, right? Yeah. Um, and also as a, as a new mum, I was also like, well, I, why would I go and invest in a device when I don't know if it's going to work for me? So I think for a lot of people, they've either come off the pill, they don't trust themselves, they don't have any awareness of their cycle whatsoever, and they just want a backup plan. Mm. Daisy does that for them um, and keeps all that data there and stores that forever and connects to an app on your phone um, where you can go in and you can sort of see that and watch the, the charts. But the, the problem is that a lot of people go, oh, yeah, I track my cycle, I use an app. And the app guesses based on your last cycle when you are going to ovulate, which is a disaster. Um, the only way you can have accuracy is if you're using something like a daisy that is actually we're inputting data, not just your signs and symptoms, but actual categorical data to actually be able to track that and then daisy takes around three months to learn your body um it's it actually is very impressive i was quite impressed when i jumped back on and started using daisy again because i've been associated with the company for around 10 years but i kind of had moved away from it for many reasons but one was because um for me it's not that it wasn't accurate. It's like, oh, I've got to wait for it to learn my body and how long is that going to take? And blah, blah, blah. Anyway, when I jumped back on board again and I started using it, I was very impressed at how quickly it could tell me at least when I wasn't fertile. Wow. Um, it didn't take very long at all for it to learn that for me. And every woman's going to be slightly different, but it didn't take very long. And then by the time it had watched three cycles, it knew exactly when I was ovulating and exactly when I wasn't. So, you know, peace of mind, accuracy and historical data that I can one day, if my daughter or a doctor or someone else wants to look at, I've got all of that there to look at that history. And I think, you know, my mum's interesting. She says to me, I wish my mother had told me what perimenopause and menopause was going to look like. She passed away when my mum was 30 and there's just no information. Now, not that I'm advocating that I'm going anywhere anytime soon, but that information is crucial for my daughter as well to have. So... You know, there's lots of reasons outside of ourselves that we want to track our cycles to see what's happening, whether it's for our health providers or our loved ones, so that we've got that accurate information and we can take the guessing work out of it. Yeah, and I think it's nice as well with the daisy because if you're just doing your temperature tracking, as you said, there's lots of things that can come into the temperature tracking. There are so many variables and that's also why it gets a bad rap. Mm. Yeah. And it's the after if you're trying to prevent. Correct. Correct. Exactly. I know, right? Exactly. So, you know, I mean, what I didn't say when I was talking about the cycle before is you're generally fertile for at least at least two days. We say three when we're teaching fertility awareness. We say three days post ovulation. Are you going to conceive three days after ovulation? Probably not. But when we're teaching this so that women at least have peace of mind that they're doing everything they can to understand their cycle, we want you to wait three days. That's just not three days not to have sex. That's just three days not to have unprotected sex. 
Um, but beforehand, that fluctuates. And we don't know how long that... Well, Daisy will learn how long that is over a period of time. That could be one day. That could be five days. It just depends on you. So having that information, I think, is, is, is so crucial. And you might learn that you're really only potentially fertile for three or four days. And really only one peak day of that. Women get the peak day wrong all the time as well, I have to say. When they're looking at their cervical fluid, they, they get very excited on the day that there's so much of it and they miss often their fertile window. So I'll say to patients, just please, if you're trying to have, um, trying to conceive, the last wet day and after, I feel you're far more likely to, well, you're accurate because you actually know what's happened as opposed to beforehand when you're guessing. And then you, by the time you're ovulated, you've had enough of your partner and you're like, oh, move on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so understanding that, I think, and taking that guesswork out of it is a great peace of mind for women that are trying to conceive yeah. because it is... Uh, it's stressful enough as it is. And what about, you know, ovulation test kits and pregnancy mm. tests? You, you know, I get patients coming in, they're spending so much money each cycle. Yeah, yes. Fill us in about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I mean, I think that an OPK or an ovulation predictor kit test, personally, it can't confirm ovulation. It can only confirm when you've had a luteinizing hormone surge. So what that is is when your body's tried to at least ovulate, but it can't say, oh, you actually have ovulated. The only way you can know that you've done that really is by tracking with a blood test. So that to me is a little bit dangerous because women will utilize them, especially the digital ones, because you can only use them up until it gives you an LH surge, right? So they're using it. They're like, I've ovulated. I had sex. I'm not falling pregnant. And I will actually say to women that want to use an OPK, all right, use your digital clear blue, but I want you to get some cheap ones. And I want you to keep on peeing just for a week after it's given you that LH surge, just in case that was an attempt of ovulation. And your body's actually come back and done it later um, if they want to use them. Again, a very expensive exercise by the time you've done a whole month of peeing on a stick. Mm. But how many patients have gone, oh my goodness, I've actually come back and ovulated days later because we've had them do that. So this is where they fail. It's not that they don't work. It's that the fact that they can't tell you that you've actually ovulated. They can only tell you it looks like you're about to ovulate. And if you're not someone that has a punchy ovulation and you come back and you try again, then that's going to fail you month after month. So there's a reason why they deemed ineffective. And so the same with, well, with the pregnancy test, I mean, eventually I guess you pee on a stick and it shows you. Um, Daisy can tell you that you're pregnant, yes. So um, it, 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 again, as it learns you, it will be able to confirm pregnancy as well. So, you know, that puts a bit of the guessing work out of it. And it means you can just put it to the side rather than, do I pee on a stick today? Do I pee on a stick today? Do I pee on a stick today? Someone like me, I never got a positive pregnancy test. With both of my pregnancies, I have a really slow HCG rise, it turns out. And so that was stressful because I knew I was pregnant, but they kept saying, no, no, your numbers are really low, come back again. Now knowing what I know, it's not stressful. Not that I'm having any more babies, but it's not, that wouldn't be as stressful and you'll learn, you learn as well. So yeah, again, Daisy can definitely stop the guesswork with ovulation and it can stop the guesswork with pregnancy, um, conf- confirmation of pregnancy as well. So it's pretty smart. And so if a woman is listening and she's been on some form of contraceptive method, whether that mm-hmm. be the pill or what have you, what would her next step be would it just be and how long should she be tracking did you say three months with the daisy to really understand yeah good question so you want daisy wants three cycles to learn your body um if someone's been on birth control of some description 
it depends on what their body does when they come off because a lot yeah. of women don't get a cycle back again. So firstly, I'd say, okay, well, before you went on birth control, what were your cycles like? Because that gives us a window into potentially what it might be like when they come off. And if they had regular cycles before, there's a reasonable chance that their cycles will be regular after. But it does take a while for everything to kind of fire back up again and the brain will start to work out that, oh, I have to tell the ovaries to ovulate again. Hang on a minute. Um, and so... I do say to our customers, did I mention that I'm the owner of Daisy Australia New Zealand? <laughs> I do say to our customers, um, I don't mind if, you, if you've had a regular cycle to jump on straight away, but if you don't get a period within sort of six weeks, then I'd say, all right, we've got to get you cycling again first, and then we start to utilise Daisy. So there's that, but also I'm glad you asked that question because there are women that are breastfeeding, there are women that have PCOS, there are women that don't necessarily have regular cycles, and what does it mean for them again like you guys you're always going to try and get someone's cycle to be as regular as possible and daisy does require your cycle to be somewhere between 19 to 42 days so if you have longer cycles than 42 days we've got to get them regular first and that's where you'd see your health provider to help you do that and then it will be appropriate for you to use so um, that is important breastfeeding once the cycle returns again then again same thing we'd start to use it there's no point tracking prior to because you're going to get all sorts of wobbly scenarios it's not going to really tell you much and it is hard I think once you've had one child and you've breastfed and you've seen what your body's done and when your cycles come back then you can work out probably what's going to happen. I don't know, what was your experience? Was it the same with the two? Yeah, I had six weeks with Van and about nine weeks with Lenny. That is Lenny. so mean. I know, right? You want a bit longer than that. <laughs> I got them back really But I guess soon. at least then yeah. you can track it and then you can at least... I could. Because a lot of women are very scared in that postpartum period yeah. because they don't want to fall pregnant again. Yeah. Not with a six-week-old. No, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> six weeks but it does happen yeah, but you know does. what I mean so like I think at least you knowing that now I mean I guess a lot of women would love that to have that back just so that they can start yeah. tracking again but the same as you know if someone's been sick or they say what do I do sometimes I just tell them not to chart for a week or two and then to just jump back on and start again because yeah. it's going to give you really weird readings which may or may not impact what it looks like moving forward so once you start to track you know all of this and you start to learn all of this and it's sort of you know it's much easier but there are reasons why you can't use it and it's not that you've just come off the pill necessarily it's more allow your body to start to cycle again so you're getting the maximum benefit out of using it and do you feel like this would be great for teenagers to start straight away using daisy I mean, what a gift if you got your period and then you started, not for fertility, just for awareness in general. It is very exciting. There are new teen products coming out. They're not on the market in Australia yet, but it is very, it's a watch this space scenario. Um, But Livia is so desperate to use a daisy and I'm like, just wait a second. I mean, I don't think any parent wants their daughter tracking their, their 13 year old tracking their fertility. I think that that would be a little bit controversial. But at least, yes, the cycle, connecting to your cycle, because I feel like that's something that we say it, but do we really understand what that means? Like really being in touch with realising that you are different on every single day of your cycle. You're different yesterday. Yesterday you want a broccoli, tomorrow you want chocolate. Like there's a reason for that and understanding and connecting to that and really being able to tap into that. And I think that also allows, some, you know, for Olivia, for example, to have the awareness that some days she feels good and other days she doesn't. And that's yeah. okay. And you don't have to perform on the days that you don't feel good because your body's not designed to. I, I know my period's due at the moment and I just go into this, cre- 
it's not even I don't even know why I'm calling it a creative lull there's nothing creative about it it's just a lull (laughs) but I know and I get to this point of my cycle and I'm like oh I just can't be bothered and if you follow me at all you know I love to show up but there will be two or three days in the song. You know, I don't bother. Not Nat's today. Yeah, Nat's here is due. She's gone away. If enough people know, they'll be like, oh, she's due for a period. She's missing again. But it's true. I just, there's nothing creative about me where I'm generally a very creative person. Now, if I know that about myself, I don't sit here and go, what's wrong with me? I can't, yeah. I can't get creative right now because in the moment it feels like it's forever. But if I have that awareness, like this will pass in a three or four days, just chill. It's okay, you know, you're not, you haven't lost it. You haven't lost your mojo altogether. It's going to come back. So I think for kids to have that awareness and just understand, and again, to be able to plan around that, as I think is really important. Um, we've got a campaign going at the moment with Daisy, plan your period, because I think, you know, we plan for so many things, but we don't generally plan for that. And I think if we planned for it, we can be accepting of the phases. We can be accepting of of how we feel at certain times and then we can also plan around it so I know that if I have a presentation today or I have to show up for a podcast I don't nearly need to do anything else I just need to get this done and do it well rather than try and today's not a multitasking day yeah as we've learned before I got here the girl's got the backstory <laughs> of my day but you know what I mean it's we yeah. don't connect to our cycle like that because no one taught us to yeah. and our mothers often hated upon their cycles so our experience of this is really important that we're showing and setting an example for our daughters that it's something to embrace, not something that we dread, hate and and loathe all the time. Because why would they want their period if we hate ours? Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I think that's so empowering as a woman and listening to, you know, planning kind of your period. Because even for me, I've got this extremely heavy period. You know, I'm going in for a laparoscopy um, next month because I've, fully believe I've got endometriosis mm-hmm. so on my days where I'm bleeding the last thing I want to be doing is back-to-back in clinic exactly but I do it right moment but you know I need to even learn to plan around but if you the did you'd, exactly and if you did it would be a game changer yeah. just in the sense of how you can perform better yeah. and be more productive on the days where your hormones allow you to do that yeah. um, we're good at women uh, we're good as women pushing through see I can't even talk um we're really good at doing that but something has to give and and so if we just at least have that awareness we can go a bit more gently doesn't mean we don't show up and do things but we can do less and achieve more by doing less on those days and it's okay to do that and also it's time to stop living our lives like we're tiny men because we're not you know they're the same all day every day you know, 365 days of the year unless they've got man flu. So, you know, that's a different scenario. But I'm being facetious. But truthfully, they are the same consistently and we're not yet we're trying to fit in and behave as they do when it comes to um, our work schedules. And we're not not that. So we need to stop doing that and give ourselves permission. And no one's going to do that for us. We've got to do that for ourselves. Yeah. love that well we're coming up to time do you have any more questions for we wrap up I just it was interesting thing that I wanted to see your take on this so when I was at school the first thing I learned was they brought out a glass of water put a tampon in it and said this is what happens inside you you need to this is a sanitary item a period care item you, you need to do this I was 13 at the time I was like what the fuck is going on how also, it doesn't expand that big because I wouldn't imagine 
imagine at the age of 13 that your <laughs> cervix and vagina is like a, cu- a glass. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so I was like petrified. I'm yes. like, I've got to use this. And I remember like, you know, trying to use a tampon for the first time and an applicator and I couldn't walk. Oh, my and gosh. I was, you, know, you know, it's just so backwards, that knowledge so that we backwards. were given. And I guess... Do you have any words of wisdom, and we can even wrap this up, about, you know, even for the teenage girls or whoever's listening about period care and just shedding the taboo around all that because there's so much out there. This starts from when our children are little and they start asking questions about where did I come from? You know, we have told them all sorts of stories. How frightening to think actually a bird through the sky and dropped you on the doorstep. Like the stork (laughs) delivered you, like horrifying if you think about it it's just like what I came from where like you know we we make up all sorts of stories or we kind of put it off for another time a more convenient time um kids have an innate way of asking for the information that they need at the time that they're ready to learn it so I actually think it starts from well before it starts from when they start asking the questions it starts from when you have your period and you don't hide the fact that you need to change your pad or tampon and kids get curious and they might ask what are you doing um it's nothing to hide it's it's you know you don't hide the fact that you need to have a bowel motion you go off and you have a bowel motion you don't announce it but you know i think it's the same thing when it comes to our reproductive health and the way that our bodies work and it 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 becomes this organic conversation that that has layers and layers on it over time so that by the time your 13 or 14 year old daughter needs to do these things she's not afraid she's not scared it's just part of what happens next and it's just this next step whereas we have created something over the last i'd say 60 or 70 years where it's so mysterious and it's this thing that's going to happen and we don't find out until we're 12 and then it's going to happen in the next two years and you know what i mean it's it's it really is this mystical time that we've created and it doesn't need to be that it's almost frightening i was very so curious about my period and my body and I used to read books and it's so fascinating that now I do the work that I do because I guess that who knew I didn't know but it chose me but it kind of didn't but I think if I had been able to have those conversations with my mum or someone that I trusted and it wasn't considered a taboo subject or something you talked about behind closed doors it would have been very different and I know you know I don't feel like I did it right either I probably didn't start speaking to Livy until maybe she was seven or eight, when I realized, oh my goodness, she needed to know this earlier. And I didn't hide any of it from my son. So it's not just about our daughters. It's also about our, our sons as well yeah. in having an open conversation. So I don't direct the conversation to Geordie, but there's a lot of conversation around that goes on um, in front of him. So he, whether he chooses or not, and he'll ask for clarification if he needs it. But funny, I was on the phone to my mum last night and we've just ran these perimenopause um, masterclasses and my dad's in the background and he starts reading it out and he's like, oh, 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 and I'm like, dad, I think you need to know this information too. I don't need to know this information. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you actually do. So it's so funny how horrified they are around the conversation, but really about what? Yeah. 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 You know, like it's, we've got this idea that it's this, problematic taboo only for certain people conversation and it's not it's a collective so I think two things to wrap this up you know we get to be the example to our daughters so reflect on how we're talking about our health as women and secondly start to 
invite the conversations in when they start to happen. It can be age appropriate. They don't need a whole bedroom scene scenario. All they need to know, you know, at the beginning is, yeah, mum has um, eggs and dad has sperm and they come together to, and that's con- conception and that's when a baby's made. Yeah. That's all they need at that point in time. If they start to ask more questions, well, good luck. <laughs> then they're ready, you know, and you can, can elaborate in that. I mean, Livy didn't know she bled for a really long time she just knew the lining came away because yes. you read your child you know if i was to say you know sweetie and as an eight-year-old you know you're going to bleed every month that to me would probably be a bit scary but if i said oh the lining comes away to clean everything out in preparation for the next month for that whole process to repeat again that's fine yeah, yeah. that's not scary and so it just took that fear away but i think there's still a lot of fear in the education and she did come home one day and say to me, we need to talk. And I was like, oh, gosh, okay, what? And we'd already talked about it, but she's like, um, it's just one word, period. And I'm like, yeah, you know about this. This is the lining and da-da-da. And she's like, she said to me, yeah, but you didn't tell me about the bleeding. I'm like, well, you didn't. it wasn't really appropriate. You hadn't asked. She's like, well, I got told it's going to be horrible. It's going to be painful. I'm going to be moody. And I was like, no, that was not what I had planned for this yeah. conversation. But this was the talk that she got at school that then set up in her head what her first period was going to be like. And I was like, none of that's happening. Let me just tell you now. Do you not know what I do for work? (laughs) But then I was like, we will fix it and we will fix it. And I think this is the other thing. We fix it when it happens, not 10 years down the track so we can actually really make inroads to that so I whilst I do a lot of fertility I do spend a lot of time now with young women and their hormones because we're seeing all sorts of weird and wonderful things happen you know in terms of precocious puberty and early puberty or other symptoms that are uh, problematic and so I think focusing my attention there makes sense um, in setting women up for their long-term fertility yeah for sure Um, and I'm glad you said it's not just about the the girls because I'm raising two boys and I've got to say their favorite toy is a temple. Oh yeah, brilliant. Love it. They brilliant. Love it. And we're in the why stage with it. Yes. So oh, why, mommy? But why? But why? But you <laughs> can always like find a truthful answer that's yeah. not, you know. The other thing too is, you know, for us when it comes to reproductive health, I think a lot of it comes back to sexual encounters and they haven't had an emotional sexual encounter or experience. Mm-hmm. They just want the facts and they're happy yeah. with that. Whereas us, you know, it's an intimate Uh, hopefully it's an intimate experience and so we've got a lot of emotion tied up with that they don't want they don't need those details you know we can spare them we can spare (laughs) them those details um and so I think just giving them the facts you know I I, for a long time I'm pretty sure Livy just thought that the sperm somehow hopped over to me like we'd have this conversation she's like they swim there mum and I'm like and I kept wanting the conversation like but how do they swim there Livy she's like from one to another and I'm like but how she just wasn't ready to learn that yeah so that's fine. And then eventually she did. So it still can be age appropriate. Yeah. yeah. It's just more the fact that we don't need to fear it. And if you are scared, I wrote a book about it. So that it's appropriate for the 14-year-old, the 13-year-old. So, you know, yeah. there's resources out there as well. So tell us, where can we find you, your books, mm-hmm. all your resources, Daisy? Yes. Um, Daisy is daisyau.com.au and that's relatively new. And Daisy AU. Um, on a Daisy Australia actually on Instagram me everything is Nat Kringudis so come on over to Instagram there's loads of resources in my bio and on my website and if you're sitting here going I don't know if it is my hormones I don't know what it is 
um, do go over to my website and just use the search bar because chances are I've answered your question there at least enough to get the ball rolling for you to be more curious about what to do next and not just feel like you continue to hit dead ends. Your Instagram is phenomenal. I've been following you for years. And because you just share so much incredible educational content. So like you said, you can kind of pinpoint what's going on and then if Mm. you can... You might need to see someone like yourself for further investigations. Yes, yeah. but just get curious about your symptoms as a starting point, really, like you are. You're like, I'm curious, okay? I'm pretty sure, but now what do I do? What's the next thing to do? Yeah. And I think, yeah, so many women feel like they don't have the next step and that's where my heart breaks because there's always a reason and there's you know, always more we can do. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. It's been so nice to chat and connect again and we'll have you on the show. Yeah, I'll come back. Let's come back and just talk about anything. I think it'd be good to have you back talking about more exploring the teenage um, puberty side too because I get a lot of DMs from others and I'm like, it's not my yeah, practice. Yes, I'm yes. not interested in that yeah. at the moment yeah. because of other things that I'm doing in clinics. So yeah. I think that would be such a great topic. Yeah, to there's so much further. research that needs to go into that area because girls are getting their periods younger and younger. Yeah, wow. yeah and women, when when you're not confident in your own cycle, right. are still not oh, 100%. educated and, and able to teach their daughters. So, right. and, yeah. and even just hearing how you're talking to Livy about mm. it, you know, it's... it's uh, yeah. Yeah. Good to have that conversation, definitely. For sure. Um, yeah. Well, thanks, Nat. Thank you Thank so much. You, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That way we can continue to inspire and reach more mamas around the globe. If you would like to get in contact, request a guest or topic, then head to the No BS Approach to Motherhood Instagram page and send us a direct message. Otherwise, until next episode, stay sane, mama.